Welcome to Turn of the Century, a podcast about the turn of the 20th century. I'm your host, Joe Hawthorne, and today we're back talking about a global health crisis. Benjamin Kitchings, host of the History Voyager podcast, rejoins us to discuss the end of the Spanish flu and consequences for the world even today. You can listen to this episode on its own, but I also recommend going back if you haven't already and listening to our previous episode with Ben about what the disease could have been and its effects on the world. He shows how 1800s medicine and social mores made this such a disaster. On today's podcast, we get to the 1900s and beyond. In a way, the Spanish flu represented the beginnings of modern medicine. So how did such a deadly and mysterious disease shape public health for a century? What tools do the government, doctors, and hospitals use to make sure something like this never happened again? And what similar lessons might we learn from the current pandemic? Or are we unlearning those lessons? Let's see how we can connect the past to the present. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be back with fellow podcaster Benjamin Kitchings as we discuss history and consequences of the Spanish flu. Ben? Thanks for returning. Hi. Thank you for being enthusiastic. <laughs> I, I'm really excited because we left off um, our last conversation about the Spanish flu. We were talking about what was or wasn't the, the Spanish flu, why it was important, the consequences, and, and how we could learn a little bit more about the time period before the Spanish flu, before 1918 and the end of World War I, etc., uh, and so this episode, I want to get into that turning point, why the Spanish flu was a turning point or, or how it helped change the world going into the 20th century and our modern era. So, Ben, let's start very broadly. How did the Spanish flu end? How, how much of an idea do we have of, of why it ended? Well, so like I, I believe I told you in your our previous episode, uh, there was a government report that was declassified under Bush II, so George W. Bush, for those of you who didn't study political science. <laughs> under this report, uh, we learned, we the, we the people, learned that there was a, the government scientists believed that the bloodstream held the Spanish flu virus from about 1900 to somewhere in the 1920s. So that's how long it was. Now, it just essentially, it just petered out. Essentially, the virus, we think, just basically died, died out, or at least that's the popular theory. Now, again, there's a lot less that we know about the Spanish flu than we used to know because it's been reappraised. Like before, people thought it was in France. Like you can go to the library right now and check out books from 2000 saying it was in France. It started in France. So if it starts in Kansas, which it probably did, right? The big mystery is how it got to France before we did, like before the US military did. So we not only don't <laughs> not only do we not quite know how it ended besides petering out, but we're still stumped on how its exact movement happened. There's a lot that we don't know. There's a whole lot. And actually, I had to quit doing the Spanish flu because, well, I, I chose to. Because, look, 
if you think that a half a billion people, somewhere between 25 million and a half a billion died from the Spanish flu. Okay. Now, I don't know if a half a billion people died, but it was a whole lot more than 25 million. Now, if you think that, say, a half a billion people died, you could literally do deep dives in every city in the world for the rest of your life and never talk about anything else in a podcast. Okay? Now, the biggest mystery that people don't understand is Tehran with the Spanish flu. Is Tehran. Tehran actually wasn't on Western trade routes. Okay. Persia was not in Persia, which is where it was, geopolitically speaking, was not involved in World War I at the time. But Tehran was nailed by the Spanish flu. Absolutely nailed by the flu. And nobody knows why. So are there any particular theories that we have now, or is that still an absolute mystery about Tehran? Well, the only theory that anybody really has that is a traveler, because it was still a world city, is somebody had it or somebody carried it or it could have been a, well, it probably wasn't a pig because they were Muslim, but it could have been a cow. Uh, they they mainly think, so Kansas was the, was the butcher shop of the world in 19, in the 20th century, right? Kansas was the butcher shop of the world. So those cows went everywhere. So talking about Tehran and mysteries of the Spanish flu, and you were mentioning the sickness counts, the death counts uh, of the flu, you know, why was tracking so inaccurate? This is kind of a question that we still have relevancy today about <laughs> our pandemic. Why was it so inaccurate then? Because like I, like I said last week, you might die in front of a doctor that didn't think you could have died of the flu. Like, precious few people died in San Francisco by a doctor who thought they would have died of the flu. Like, a whole lot of people, literally, it's almost funny today, a whole lot of people died of something in San Francisco that modern folks believe was the flu, but we just don't know. It's funny, too, because the doctors specifically said, well, this person didn't die of the flu, but they totally died of a stroke or whatever. Like, like Chinatown during the Spanish flu was deserted. They were just deserted. But those people were lauded by medical professionals as being immune to the flu. So they died of something, right? <laughs> uh, or, okay, I talked to a guy. I was actually uh, doing some IT stuff, and I talked to a guy, and I said, well, I'm doing a podcast. And he says, oh, whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he says, well, my uncle or my my grandfather died of the Spanish flu, but my grandmother died of a cold. And I said, well, no, your grandmother died of the Spanish flu because they died around the same time. You can't die of the cold. Your grandmother died of the Spanish flu. And he basically, I mean, it was like I had to do a therapy session right there because why would they lie about my, my grandma? And, you know, I mean, he was Hispanic. So it's kind of that that was racism right there. That's the legacy of racism right there. Or like the fact that so in Boston, the medical guy in Boston was the head medical guy in Boston was so bad that the Navy decided to take over. And the way the what I mean by take over was the Navy, the, the head of the naval installation in Boston was all, okay, if you're in Boston and you believe you have the just come here. Don't, don't, you know, don't go there. Don't worry with those people. Just, <laughs> and it was because that doctor, like I said last week, was 
he literally said, you know, I used to think you couldn't die of the flu. You know, I don't believe that now. <laughs> and I have to protect these. But not only that, but he thought that black people could give him the flu. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that right there was a leap. Okay. That there was a leap where he thought, not only can you die of the flu, but a black person can give me the flu and I could die of somebody else's flu. Do you see what I'm saying? So so he specifically was worried about black people. Can you clarify a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no problem. No problem. The Okay, so the head of the Naval Medical Installation and the head of the nascent Boston Board of Health had what you might charitably call a professional disagreement. The head of the nascent Boston Board of Health was roaming the world believing that only black people could die of the Spanish flu and was very public about this. So we know a lot about the problems of what happened during the Spanish flu, the things that doctors, public officials brought from really the, the 1800s, really early 1900s or before to this global health crisis. So how did experts, public officials, scientists, etc., respond after the Spanish flu? Oh, good question. Okay, the first thing that happened was there was a cohort of doctors that tended to be young. They tended to be new in the doctoring profession, though not always, okay, who, who thought, okay, I don't know anything about doctoring, so I have to stop what I'm doing and relearn. And let's figure out that humans are the same. And also let's let's 86 the whole putting livestock in in cities. Like the reason why until very recently in our lifetimes you couldn't raise chickens in the suburbs is because of the Spanish flu. It's directly because of the Spanish flu. The reason why you have counties say, well, this is farmland and this is not. It's because of the Spanish flu. I mean, also, there's a lot of evidence that the Nazi party came up, at, at, you know, expanded greatly because of the revelation that we're all basically the same creature. And they were reacting to that. Exactly. I, I mean, there's just, there was this, the idea that, okay, there, here's something that I managed to go this long and not say. All right. So we're just going to put this on the table right now. Public health was essentially there was this whole thing where people were like, oh, we need public health. We, we can't just leave this to the synagogues and the, the Catholic Church and the Episcopalians. We can't do that. We have to have public health boards and public, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And we have to standardize doctors. We have to, we have to teach doctors and make sure they're learning the same types of things, the same... Because you ended up with, okay, like you might drop dead next to a doctor that was a great doctor, but somebody else might drop dead next to somebody that had about as much medical training as I do, which is to say none at all. Other than researching the, <laughs> the Spanish flu. Well, um, what I am is a guy with a master's degree and a Google connection. So <laughs> It's a good name for a podcast too. So, <laughs> so, you know, I think you were mentioning before about the presidential politics or, or cabinet, um, you know, the, the changes from, let's say, a Woodrow Wilson, who thought that the 
pandemic was a hoax um, to more, say, let's say modern, enlightened, maybe, or, or just more responsive public officials. Well, okay, so starting with Teddy Roosevelt, we set, we in this country settled on the idea of the hyper-competent bureaucrat as president. So we just decided that the president was going to be super knowledgeable about an area. You look at Jimmy Carter. He was a nuclear scientist. You look at uh, Clinton. He was a governor of a state for years and years and knew the new different codes, backwards, forwards, and sideways. Okay. So we kind of settled on this idea of the hyper-competent bureaucrat. And until recently, we, we all assumed that the president would be washed with some kind of knowledge of science or some kind of thought that science was, that expertise was a good thing, that, that experts knew what they were talking about because they were experts, right? And this was something that we deluded ourselves into thinking. It turns out. So I think we're hinting at this as well. What similarities, differences would you draw between our current pandemic or our recent one, if you're listening to this, hopefully in the future, um, about COVID-19 versus the Spanish flu? You know, what, what can we suss out between these two crises? Here's an idea that hit me like a two by four the other day because I was going through some old class notes. Ten years ago, starting about ten years ago, there was this thought in psychiatry that we're just not meeting stupid people anymore that you know everybody's iq is rising and i think you you can't understand our lack of a response to covid without understanding that okay that we we got into thinking that the president whoever the president is is a super competent human in an area of subject so therefore he's going to listen to the experts whoever the experts are. We got into thinking that. We also got into thinking that because we're not meeting stupid people anymore, that when you, when, because we get really, really good at picking out a brand new disease before it, it gets to epidemic, you know, insane proportions, you're going to be able to tell really smart people, please try to behave yourself. <laughs> right. And they'll generally comply. And I think we're learning now that that was not a good idea, that that was not an idea that, you know, that is true, that, you know, that people just can't imagine the government stepping in and helping, right? They, they can't imagine that. And they actually believe in their, in their being that it is their job to keep their communities going. And so they go out in the world and and do things and ba da 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 da. So you that's maybe why people go out to eat in a in a COVID-y situation and go to go to the buffet in a COVID-y situation. How similar do you think that people's actions, behavior was the Spanish flu to COVID nineteen? You know, were people still throwing off masks a hundred years ago or I guess going to the all you can eat buffet of the time? Um what was behavior like? They they were. They, they were, but I've got an even more poignant story. Um, I, my grandparents, all four of my grandparents came through the Depression. They had older siblings who vividly remembered the Spanish flu, very vividly. 
none of these people went to college. I think I'm right in saying that, that none of my grandparents' siblings went to college, yet they had a, a, a better understanding of illness than people that I, in my family, in my current generation of a family, who have master's degrees in things. I am alive because my great-grandmother told her family, don't go into the town, don't go into Brunswick, I say on my podcast, because they have the flu in Brunswick. Okay? I am alive because of that. All right? And, and she, I don't know if she finished school, right? <laughs> I don't know if she had school to finish in terms of high school or grammar school or whatever. It just amazes me how in some ways we've gone backwards in our thinking as a, as a culture, right? Why do you think that is? Or how is that manifested? How has it not manifested? Okay. At some point we woke up and put our pants on and decided that Google, it should be the keeper of all knowledge that we don't need to learn anything else because Google will store it for us. Right. At some point, we decided that experts, that what an expert says is actually a matter of political opinion. And that if the expert says this, well, there's another expert that's going to say something else tomorrow. You look at global warming, for example, or you look at any of a number. To be of even more specific, then, do you think that there are examples of things that people learned from the Spanish flu, let's say? That have been unlearned by today's crisis? Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. Uh, the idea, okay, where I live, it is a badge of wealth among people of my age. I can see you. You can't see me. We're around the same age, uh, about. It's become a badge of wealth among people of my age to grow chickens in their yard because they're too good to go to Publix and buy eggs or whatever grocery store you have up in New York, right? We have Publix in, in Atlanta, so you know what I'm saying. But they're too good to buy chick eggs at Publix, so they have to raise chickens. My grandfather, both of them, got rid of chickens as soon as, soon as they could, okay? Both of my, my... My dad's dad actually lived on a farm for most of his life, and he wouldn't let the kids go any... He wouldn't let any children go anywhere near those chickens, and he kept the chickens. I, you know, I, I remember hearing this that he kept the chickens as far away from, from people as he, basically as he could. Because sick chickens, man. I mean, that's what you mentioned at the <laughs> near the beginning of our conversations was you know about waterfowl or fowl, I guess, <laughs> being you know yeah. a, a huge just public health risk, I guess to put it um, moderately. And I was just thinking, I didn't even think of this before I asked the question, but, you know, the, the fears about vaccinations are something that at some point we learned to fear. Well, here's something that I just find shocking to think about. I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you, my, my granny, my, my dad's mom, she had three boys. One had polio, one had the scarlet fever. And she was all about vaccines. She was telling people, get a vaccine <laughs> for whatever it was. I know, I, I know for a fact that if my granny were alive today, 
she would be out front and center about telling people to get a vaccine. So, so then as we round out this conversation and think about the relevancy, of course, having a conversation about a pandemic feels very relevant. What do you think will happen or has started to happen in regards to public health? You know, do, are there lessons that we can see being repeated um, from the Spanish flu to COVID? What do you think the future holds? Here's what I think is going to happen the next time this happens. We won't be a country anymore. I really believe that. You look at the technology. You look at how fast you can you can do things online. And suddenly you can, like I can talk to you and you can talk to me. And we live thousands of miles away. And I can have a conversation with a woman in Singapore. And I can have a conversation with a man in, in New Zealand and, and so on and vice versa. And it's easier for me to talk to New Zealand than it is for me to talk to my sister in northern Florida. What I'm saying is the powers that be in this country are old. Physically, they're, they're old. They're elderly folks. If they knew how close we were to being able to become a network of city-states and not having to worry about the rural places in between, if they understood that in their bones, they would act better. You know, let's get people a stimulus check. Let's Let's make mass mandatory. Let's blah, 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 blah. You know, they would treat this seriously because the next time this comes along, the technological powers that be are going to be like, goodbye. See you later. So, you know, do you think that the Spanish flu and COVID-19 are almost too, like, the Spanish flu is kind of a beginning of modern global pandemics in a nation state? era and COVID-19 might be the the other side uh, uh not only do I not only do I think that about the flu Spanish flu they teach that that's what they think <laughs> that caused people to go to school on how did this spread it spread from the steam engine it spread because you're raising up chickens next to people that can't wash themselves who work jobs who get on trains who take this disease to here who take it to there. But I'd like to even narrow down further because I think what you're saying is super interesting about, I guess, nation state versus city state that, you know, we're talking about pandemics that spread from nation to nation. Um, and you're talking about a future where we'll, we'll probably have another health crisis again. Those things happen, but that this may be the last time that we have a pandemic between nations as opposed to, like you said, city-states or some other kind of governmental unit? No, I think the next one will cause the breakup. Okay, so we got one more. <laughs> so COVID, COVID's COVID a middle to ground, me is the I one guess, where people that. sit around and go, I thought this was going to happen. Now I don't, right? You can read stuff about the Spanish flu written in the, written in the halcyon days of 2005 that talk about how we would we are more progressive than they were in 1918 and you listen to what they you read what they say they did in 1918 and damn it it's the same thing it's the same thing i actually i have a distinct memory of before trump was elected before the 2016 election finding a book about the spanish flu from 2005 and it's saying something very very similar about you know how we didn't know everything, but this could never happen again. You know, so a, a lot of this could never happen again moments. You talked about unlearning. Here, here's something that somebody unlearned somewhere. Apparently, there was a period of time in American history where Jared Kushner believed 
was roaming the world believing that only Democrats could get COVID. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds unbelievable. <laughs> um, it, it just does. <laughs> so I think this is a really great, uh, <laughs> a whole bunch of really great nuggets for thinking about where we were and where, where we're at, where we're going. Is there anything else that we have not talked about that you really like to stress about the legacy of the Spanish flu? I want the legacy of COVID to be that we have to see the, the humanity in people, the humanity in the so-called other side. Okay, do you see what I'm saying? Like, we've, we've all seen these protests and these, these demonstrations, and we've all seen the ugliness of our country. But let's please remember that our, we're not an ugly country a lot of the time. We have ugly sides, sure. But all of us came here to make a somebody in our family tree came here to make a better life for themselves and, you know yes you have the africans that were brought in chains but when you talk about your asians and your and you know your your germans and your jewish people and your, all of our family tree wanted the best for their people and they said the best way to do that is to come to this island continent a new country and try to you know get on with your life you know, that's we need to understand that this virus doesn't care who you vote for, irrespective of what Jared Kushner used to think. That's well said. And I think it's a good place to end uh, what is, you know, a really dark chapter. Uh, I say that a lot about a lot of the history that we study because it is dark and deadly. But I think that's a really good place to wrap up on and hopefully give hope for the future. So thank you again, Ben, for joining us for a, a couple of great conversations about the, fl the Spanish flu and beyond. Again, if people loved your voice and want to find more of it, where can they listen to you? Like I said last week, I'm on the History Voyager. Um, I'm on lots of podcatchers, uh, basically all of them. Apple, Spotify, uh, Google Podcast. Just pick, I'm even on Amazon Podcast, apparently, which is amazing. You know, uh, there was a period of time where I was one of the most listened to podcasts in the world. Nobody's more amazed about that than me. So let's get that number up again. <laughs> right now you're in the midst of season two, which is a lot of just really, frankly, interesting conversations. And I think talking to anyone right now has to do with COVID and public health. So highly recommend the history of Voyager. And if you enjoyed listening to my voice, please keep doing that. You can subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends even your enemies about the show it really helps get the word out and it helps bring on amazing guests every week thank you so much look forward to you listening in again soon <laughs>